Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to this second in a two-part series. We're talking about forgiveness. If you didn't see the first one, we mainly wanted to talk about how important it is to receive the forgiveness that God wants to offer to all of us. Today, we want to talk about extending that forgiveness to our others in our humanity, our fellow brother, fellow sister. We say in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts, Lord, forgive us, that's what we talked about last time, as we forgive our debtors. Now, that's where the water hits the wheel and the rub goes against the cat's fur the wrong way. That's what's really hard for a lot of us. But it's so very important before we talked about this that we anchor it in God's first forgiveness for us. Otherwise, we don't have a chance. But forgiveness can indeed happen. Now, let's talk about forgiveness for a moment. The word, the Greek word that's behind that, afiimi, really is a word that means to let go to release. Imagine a balloon being let go or someone being released from prison or a IOU being just torn into shreds. It's about just freeing, letting go. Let it, just let it go. If you've had grandchildren and they've been singing let it go from frozen, maybe that's a word you don't want to hear, but the word is just let it, let it go. Just let it go. Friends, is there somebody listening today that desperately needs to just let something go? I mean, how long are you going to cling to this thing? You may be clinging to the thing that's killing you. Let it go. That's what forgiveness basically is. It's just letting it go. Is it deserved? Is it because it's been earned? Is it because there's been enough good things to pay it off? No, that's the whole point. It's flagrant, scandalous, letting it go when it isn't deserved. In the face of undeserving, it's just letting it go to the person who doesn't deserve that. Because, of course, we were forgiven the same way. Letting it go. It's not natural. It's not easy. But it's not impossible. In this session, I want to talk about, well, that, then how do we forgive? I mean, because all of us have a sack of rocks we've probably been carrying around in almost every relationship that we can think of where there's just there's a pretty good pile of things that have been done to us. And every time we remember them, we sort of bring it back up. It's like checking under the rock to make sure the snake is still there. I mean, if we're not careful, we get really good at sort of nursing it. We don't that phrase nursing a grudge. If receiving God's forgiveness is letting go of guilt, forgiving others is letting go of grudge because we nurse a grudge like a mother nursing a child, and it sucks the life right out of us. You have to take care of a grudge. If you don't feed it, it will die. So we nurse it. Forgiveness is just the opposite. It is starving it, letting it go. Well, how do we do that? The Gospel of Matthew has a couple of twin stories put right back together, back to back, that I think are pretty helpful about this. And though this isn't a Bible study, I encourage you to look at these texts. But the first one's in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, if my brother, and what they mean is anybody in the church, it's the way they talk to fellow church members. So if someone in the church offends me, sins against me, what do I do? And Jesus says, well, if your brother, your sister sins against you, here's what you do. And Jesus gives just three really concrete bullet point things to do about how do you set in motion this cycle of forgiveness how do you do this thing that is really God's signature act? How can we do this? Even if we have been forgiven, how do we forgive? And here's the first thing he says. Well, first, by the way, acknowledge it means that, you know what? Bad things really do happen between good people. Even good people, people in the church is what Matthew's addressing. People in the church can sin against each other. 
People in marriages who are otherwise good people can mess up with any relationship. You nick each other up. So A, it's going to happen. B, uh, you have to, even when you try to do something about it, it may not lead to reconciliation, but this, that's something you have to let go of as well. So here's what you do. First, Jesus says, is you go to the person who offended you directly. You don't send them a text with all caps and a bunch of emojis. You actually go to, you don't talk about them behind their back. You go to them. You know why that's true? Because many times the person doesn't even know they've offended you. How many times has that happened? Has anyone ever come to you and said what you did, what you said, what you didn't do, and you thought, wow, I I didn't, I'm so sorry, I didn't even know I did that. Well, that's so often the case. Jesus knows this. He says, you're going to nick each other up. It's going to happen. You're going to have to, if you're going to have any relationship, marriage, friendship, church membership, you're going to have to learn. But when it happens to you, don't you sit there and waiting on them to come to you as if they got to come crawling on bleeding knees and, you know, they've got to earn it. Once again, forgiveness is a gift. You take the initiative. You want to say, it's up to, they did the wrong thing, they should come to me. No, you go to them. Because A, they may not know. B, they may be surprised you did it. C, they don't deserve it, but you're doing it anyway. So it's the beginning. It already breaks the cycle. You take initiative and you go to them directly. You don't send them a message. You don't send them an email. You don't send a messenger. You go. Now that might not be, and many times that's enough. The person just melts and says, oh my goodness, I didn't mean for it to come across that way. I'm so sorry. And all that reconciliation happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And so Jesus says, if that happens, kind of pull in some counsel around you. Get in with two or three other people, if need be even the whole church. In other words, uh, sometimes it's helpful to bring in somebody to kind of check with yourself and say, I, you know, am I, do I have a blind spot here? Is, you know, because someone might help you to see that you're a part of the problem too. Not in every case, but maybe you contributed some. Maybe there's a way about your approach. Maybe, uh, or maybe they can help you with other kind of wisdom. There's something to be said about the wisdom of counsel. It isn't about throwing somebody under the bus. It's more about getting some counsel around if the very first one-on-one -on -one initiative didn't happen. Sometimes even then, that's not enough. So then what do you do? Jesus says, okay, sometimes no matter what you try to do, it's going to end up like this. And if that happens, he says, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that might sound like that you're just throwing them out in the trash heap. But think in the Bible, in the Gospels, how does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? right? He loves them. He's going to dinner with them all the time. He's making them his disciples. In fact, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, what was Matthew's job before he became a disciple? He was a tax collector. So can you just see Matthew winking when it says, when Jesus says, if all else fails, treat them like a tax collector. In other words, treat them like a prospect. Treat them as someone you're still going to love, even if they don't love you back. At the end of the day, what God's trying to get and through us is reconciliation. It may not force it to happen, Forgiving doesn't force something, but it sure does open up the possibility for it. In fact, often when Jesus related to people, he forgave and the forgiveness created the repentance almost rather than the other way around. It was remarkable, this initiative. Do that, he says, and you'll free up somebody, even if it's only just yourself. Treat them like a tax collector, uh, which means at the end of the day, they go back on your prospect list as someone to keep praying for, to keep loving. Now, that left the, math, the, the disciples scratching their heads because this all is so unusual for us. And so Peter says, well, 
okay, wait a minute, Lord, but how many times? Because if I let them go like that, aren't they going to just keep doing it? I mean, that's the thing we always want to say. It's not justice, you know. Uh, if, the, if it's that easy, they're just going to keep on offending me. And so he says, how many times do I have? Can I keep score here? How many times do I have to forgive? And this is what Matthew 18, 21 to 35, the very next several verses are about. And he, said, he goes and answers his own question. Should I forgive seven times, thinking that three might have been good, so seven is an A+. And Jesus said, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. And by the way, if you get to 490, Jesus would say, no, no, 7,000 times 70. Now, here's the point. As long as you're counting, it doesn't count. That's the deal. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. Now, this is a very illogical thing, but Jesus is saying, okay, here's the deal. Because I know that's hard to get. Let me tell you a story. It was his favorite way of teaching. So he tells a story about a king who was settling accounts, and somebody owed the king like $1.5 billion. That's what it would be in today's dollars. I mean, it's like the national debt. An unbelievable amount. How the guy ever got in that much debt, I have no idea, but he owed, he owed an impossible debt. And the king, rather than throwing him and his family for eight generations into prison, the king said, I, just, I forgive you. I release the debt. He then went out immediately from the king's presence, and there someone owed him a 90-day note. I mean, like a hundred denarii, you know, a 30, a, a, you know, 90-day payment. And he got the guy by the neck, threw him into prison until he should, or his family, pay off every last little bit. And the king heard about that and said, are you kidding me? When you receive so much forgiveness, how could you not turn around and offer what is by comparison much less? And of course, Jesus is trying to say to us, if you anchor this in your forgiveness from God, no matter what anybody's ever done to you, no matter what, it doesn't compare to what God has forgiven to all of us. God's forgiveness, God's 1.5 billion is more than any amount that somebody owes us. So we say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, for sometimes, for some of us, it's harder to forgive a debt than it is a sin. Uh, Methodists say, and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Some of you from that tradition? Baptists, on the, when they do the prayer, it's forgive our sins as those who sin against us. Which one is right? Actually, they're all right. It's the same Aramaic word that can be translated all three of those ways. But the truth is, whether it's debts, someone said Presbyterians are more concerned about their money, and Methodists more about their property rights, and Baptists, well, about sins. It's not that. It's just different words that are different translations of the very same Aramaic phrase. It just means letting it go. And for some of us, it's harder to let go a debt. How many of us are really good at keeping score with who owes me? I'll never forget when uh, we had our first child, ended up being a C-section. Couldn't afford that, weren't planning on that. I was in seminary, poor. Uh, and my wife's parents loaned us $1,500, and I was all proud and said, I'm going to pay it all back. No, you don't have to. No, I'm going to, you know. Uh, years and years later, it was wonderful that they did that. Years and years later, my younger brother got married, and he was uh, also poor, and he asked if he could take my credit card on his honeymoon so he could uh, have a little bit better honeymoon. I said, sure. He rang up $350 on my credit card, um, and he said he would pay me back. And I said, great. And the first month, he paid me a little bit, and then he never paid me again. And I started keeping up with it, including 21% interest for all those months. And every time I'd go see him at his home and saw anything brand new, I'd just think, how dare you buy a new glass when you still owe me well, $375.43. I was really good at keeping score of what he owed me. And years after that, years after that, my father-in-law wrote me a note and said, I know you wanted to pay me back for the $1,500 when your child was born, but we just want to do that out of love. It's, it's forgiven. 
And my goodness, I had completely forgotten that I owed a larger amount than I was trying to get out of my little brother. In addition to that sin, I almost lost a brother. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to lose your brother. And one of the ways you do it is you don't, don't forget. Don't forget how much you were forgiven. That's really what that whole parable is about. Um, it was a real eye-opener for me. Lord, forgive our debts, but help me in turn. Let me let it go. Maybe someone owes you money. Maybe they owe you an apology. Maybe they've taken so much more from you. Maybe they have trespassed on your land, on your spouse, on your property, on your rights. Maybe they've sinned against you. All those are the same word. Let it go. Do they deserve it? No. Did they ask for it? Maybe not. Will it change their minds? Will they respond? I don't know. But you just might get a brother out of it. You just might. There's a wonderful book I'd love to commend to you by Lewis Smedes. It's called Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. Wonderful little book. Uh, and he makes uh, some observations about what forgiveness is not that I thought were pretty helpful. Four things real quick. Forgiveness is not just sweeping it under the rug, whatever this offense is between you and your brother or sister or friend. It's not just stuffing it down, sweeping it. You know, sometimes churches especially are kind of like the home home on the range. Never is heard a discouraging word. And in order to keep the illusion of peace, some households are this way, uh, they just fall into a silence, cold war against the edges, you know. Uh, stuffing it down is not forgiveness. Just because you're not hurling plates or ugly words at each other doesn't mean forgiveness has happened. It's not enough just to swallow it. <sighs> forgiveness is not sweeping it under the rug. C.S. Lewis, the great British apologist, had this image in his book, The Great Divorce, of hell. He said, hell is this, like a city, where in the center, when people offended each other, rather than ever reconcile about it, they just moved away from each other. And then they found other people that got offended, they kept moving away and moving away and moving away. So his picture of hell in this book is this abandoned city center because nobody can live with anybody and everybody's further and further out on the edges in greater and greater isolation. That's what happens if you just try to swallow it. Truth is, we have to forgive because a real hurt has happened, a real offense. It's not to be just pretended that it was nothing. So forgiveness is not just swallowing. Forgiveness is not uh, just accepting a minor annoyance. You don't have to forgive your husband because he squeezes a toothpaste in the middle or, or because he snores at night or you don't have to forgive your wife because she's trying to make sure that you eat the right foods all the time or, you're, or because your friend takes too long waggling over the ball before he golfs on the golf swing. These are just the little ticks and things that, you know, the, uh, forgiveness is when there's really been an offense. When, when it's, so it's not just acceptance of, little, of a little thing. It's really when there's an offense. Third thing that Smead said is forgiveness is not forgetting. I know we always say forgive and forget, and indeed, Jeremiah 31, 34, and a number of other places say that God does forget because God is able to do that with God's mind. We're not so much. Uh, just because you remember doesn't mean you haven't forgotten. Uh, it may well be. Uh, it may well be that you'll always remember. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Uh, in our human situation, it might be that it's you're just having to continue every time you remember to continue to offer that that olive leaf of forgiveness, if only in, in a dialogue in your own heart. But you may not, you may or may not forget. You just want to get to the place where you can pray by God's grace that it doesn't, that that memory doesn't prick you into anger again. Let it go. Maybe there's a relationship that is forever severed. 
I think of a couple that broke up and the and and uh, because they're exes, one of them kept trolling the other one's Facebook and social media and keeping up with everywhere they were, and and they they could never get over it because the truth is their hatred for each other was as much a bind as their love. So you have to just let it go. Sometimes you just have to let it go. You may never forget, but let it go. And the final thing that Smith said is, forgiveness is not the same as tolerating. You remember that uh, Amish uh, community we talked about in that first session. Uh, forgiving the family of the murderer of those children, or of the, of the, of the murderer, so loving the family, they had nothing to do with that, but forgiving a person doesn't mean that you accept what they did. It doesn't mean that you say it was okay what they did wrong. Uh, when, you, when we sin, we set in motion consequences within this world, and maybe a person still has to pay certain prices. Forgiveness is saying, that may still roll its way, and I still may disagree with what you did, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. So why do we forgive? Why do we do it? Why would, why would we do this thing that is sometimes so hard? A number of reasons. One and first and foremost, and this is the, what gives us the energy, the wisdom, and the wherewithal to do it, is because we have been forgiven. We have to pass it on. Uh, Jesus made it really clear. If you've been forgiven, you must forgive. I mean, you know, this is, this is the, the parable again about the, from the king. We forgive because we're, we're, uh, we must do it. How could we, how could we not do it? And part of it is like getting off our high horse. We forgive because in some ways we have to realize, I've been forgiven too. I, I'm broken too. I'm broken. So you're broken? Uh, me too. We're actually more alike than different. Uh, sometimes the book of Galatians talks about mending each other's burdens, but it, right on the heels it says, but take care that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Sometimes the forgiver feels like they're coming off their high mountain and handing down some grace as if they were God. No, it's really one beggar showing another beggar where you found bread. Um, you forgive because you've been forgiven. Secondly, you forgive uh, because somebody, and Jesus wants it to be you, the one who's been offended. You forgive in order to break the cycle of that violence and sinfulness and brokenness and scarred relationships. Somebody has to break that cycle, and it can be you. Until somebody does this, it just repeats itself again and again. Third, you, you forgive because, well, because you, how else can we be restored to each other in the community of faith? Within your marriage, within your friendship, within your family, within your neighborhood, until there's some kind of offer like this, we just keep losing people, the kind of shrapnel of lost relationships. And in many cases, these could be restored, but they won't happen without a genuine gift of forgiveness. It won't always happen, but at least you present the possibility that it might if they'll take advantage of that. And finally, finally, we forgive because if you don't let anybody else go, if you don't heal anybody else, if nobody else is released, at least you will be. This is the great miracle, really, is that we're the ones who get set free. If you've been nursing a grudge and think that while you've been up all night being angry at that person, that they're up all night, you know what? They're sleeping just fine. Some, some of the reason to forgive is so that you can finally go back to sleep. The truth is, we forgive. Lewis Meads, again, had a wonderful phrase. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you all along. For your sake, for their sake, for God's sake, let it go. We all remember five years ago, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. 
a dozen people in a Bible study on a Wednesday night. Dylan Roof alleged, well, and sure enough, white supremacist, young, tortured young man, comes into that Bible study and opens fire, killing nine of those people, wounding others, including the pastor. What he wanted to do was start a race riot. What he wanted to do was cleanse the world of what he thought were inferior. What he wanted to do was to create a war. What he unleashed instead was forgiveness. As one after one of those people met him in the courtroom, or even said to reporters before that, and said to him to his face, I forgive you. Now he still got sentenced, life sentence, I mean a death sentence. Uh, they weren't saying to the judge, let him go free. But they were saying in a deep, deeper way, I free you of thinking that, I'm, and I free myself. I forgive you. Incredible, isn't it? It's not normal. It's divine. To err is human. To forgive, divine. And this is one of the things that God allows us, even commands us, and invites us to do with him and for him and like him. My favorite definition of forgiveness is from Mark Twain. He says, forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that crushes it. This is what God did for us on the cross. And by God's grace, we might just have a chance to pass that fragrance on. God bless you as you do.